Welcome to On The Block with Richard Stone. Richard is a 40-something construction company owner based in the UK. His passions are technology, business automation, customer experience, and helping other small business owners using his own valuable life and business experience. This podcast will be a mixture of solo spots, casual conversation, as well as inspirational key people of influence from their respective fields. Make yourself comfortable and enjoy listening. Here is your host, Richard Stone. If you saw me in the flesh now, you, you, you would struggle to believe it, but uh, I was once a PE teacher. And... Um, and I, I, I actually taught, uh, I did my teacher training in Cardiff at Cardiff Met and the schools I was in w- were great. And I just thought this is quite easy as teaching log. And then it went to Liverpool <laughs> from, and, uh, and, and taught in a school, which actually was a brilliant school, but it had one of the highest rates in the country for uh, exclusion. And there are all sorts of, um, as a, you know, suspension from school in mm. all yeah, there's like a staircase, isn't there? It's not just normally straight, it's straight expulsion. Yeah, that's right. I, I, it, yeah, that obviously there, there, there are steps towards that. But th- there are some real sort of social problems uh, in the area that the school was in. And is is um, actually is an amalgamation of two areas where there's like intense social deprivation in the city. And, and I just saw um, a, a lot of difficulties, but equally I saw that in sport, there is always an opportunity to get through to some of the toughest kids that we are working with. And so I remember actually going to the head teacher who, shame on him, was Welsh, and I said, can, can we start rugby in the school? And he said, no, there's too many fighters as it is. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So he wouldn't let well. me, yeah, he wouldn't let me start teaching rugby. So um, I started a lunchtime basketball club. Um, I just the wrong shape ball, isn't it? It's the wrong shape ball altogether, but... I, it's just a, it's just me and I, I got I got a few of the lads who I was having a bit of a you know problem with and they're saying come on then you think it's all one on one Mr Cowan and you let's go and um, and it, you know it it was um, it, it was a bit of fun obviously they were supremely skillful but um, I used to put the shoulder in a little bit and um, <laughs> and, and suddenly we just we just uh, I wasn't trying to be their friend I wasn't trying to be a mate. Um, I just wanted to give them a little bit of time and sort of change the dynamic of the relationship, which is always teacher equals enemy yeah. and, uh, you know, and, and the children who are the goodies. And so, and that really helped. And that was just a seed in my mind of how sports-based initiatives can, can, can work to create a social impact. Yep. Uh, it was years later that I was working for a, um, for a training company as a director of training and development. And um, a local authority came to me and said, how, how can we um, work with some of our children who, uh, young men, sorry, who are very, very disengaged. They don't even want to go into our pre-employment courses. And so quite flippantly, I said, well, if they can't do national service, they need to play rugby. I didn't really mean it. I just came out with it for some reason. Didn't know it shaped the rest of life. Um, <laughs> it's probably quite a poignant statement and you know sometimes we say these things and actually we think oh well i probably didn't mean it but when it's like that and it comes from the gut there's a real kind of true sort of honesty there isn't there i think so and i think so and although i say i didn't mean it i think i didn't what i i think what i mean is i didn't expect it to to get the response which you did get yeah. 
which was, well, you know, put a proposal together and, and, and you know, see what we can come up with. So I, I came up with a course which, um, which is just originally just for men and it's for young men. And it was for unemployed guys, mostly or a lot of them being, you know, involved in the wrong side of the law and uh, were pretty disengaged. Um, and the challenge was, in eight, even though none of them had ever played rugby before, most of them had never held a rugby ball before. But I said, in eight weeks' time, uh, we're going to tr- put you in front of a load of employers, but also we're going to teach you from scratch the game of rugby union, and you are going to play a full contact game against an established league team. In eight well, weeks. in eight weeks. Yeah, so there is uh, two days a week for eight weeks. So there's no hiding places. Um, and a lot of these lads thought they were obviously really tough. And I said, come on, if you really think you're, you're tough, have a go at this. Mm. So um, some of them walked away. Some of them thought, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm up for the challenge. Eight weeks later, we played against the uh, Duke Lancaster Regiment of the British Army. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. They don't muck about them, boys. No, they do don't. They? Especially um, the 17 out of 23 Fijian soldiers that got off the coach. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Richard, they absolutely marmalised us. They, they took no pity. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was fun. Um, but of course, uh, what really mattered was that we'd brought some cohesion amongst these lads who didn't even like each other at first mm. and a sense of doing something they never thought possible. So we we're able to say to them, if this is what you can do in just eight weeks, imagine in other areas of life, what you can do in the next eight months, you can do anything. What about the next yeah. eight years? What could your life look mm. like? So it's really empowering them to have a very, very sort of positive uh, mindset. And that was a start really for us of, of uh, thinking about the application of psychology to, to, to mm. sport, which is, which is what we do now with, with charity. Psychology. So I've got a phrase, and people, people are always commenting on it when I post stuff on social media, and that is that skill set without mindset equals upset. And the amount of people that send me a message and go, you've just switched a light bulb on in my head. Because you can, be, you can have the best MBA, you can have the best Harvard degree, but if your head is in the wrong place, and I know, and I'm... I'm not speaking because this is something I've read. My mental health is up and down all, all the time. Mm-hmm. I have really great days. I have massive order euphoria and I have other days when it's quite dark. So I know what it feels like. And, but mindset is so, so important. And we see it in the people that you've built quite a lot. Like that, that sort of process you just talked through there where they sit down at day one and they won't even engage or talk to one another. And actually, after eight weeks, they're kind of, they're all backslapping and they're all best friends and they look back on what they've achieved. It is... It's, it's almost like soul food, isn't it? It's just yeah. such a really positive thing to be part of and witness and experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we actually, can't, we, we've developed our, our own kind of bespoke psychology, but fundamental to that it is the, the, the concept of a growth mindset, <clears throat> which is that, you know, so for me, uh, I'd love to be able to play for Liverpool, but, you know, that's not going to happen. So that's not a growth mindset. That's a fixed mindset because I'm just de- denying myself. A growth mindset is saying to somebody, you know, you can see your goal uh, if you're prepared to put the hard work in, if you're prepared to live in the world of, of reality mm. and be framed by, you know, what, what is really possible. Mm. Uh, you might think that's Mao's way, but you know what? You can, you can do that. One of our um, charity partners is, um, is a chain of restaurants called Gaucho in London. And they... Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do lovely Argentinian steak in Malbec, mate. Their sausages are pucker as well. Highly recommend it, yeah. <laughs> That's why so, I proposed to my wife in Gauchos. Did you? Oh, yeah, mate. I did, yeah. You great romantic, you. 
um, now, I'm there. Um, the, 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 the group owner, a guy called Martin Williams, um, he, he, he often says, like, if you, if you find anyone who's prepared to absolutely put a massive shift in and it is hard hours, long hours, as a start as a kitchen porter. He said, we've had people who start as kitchen porters just peeling veg who have ended up as executive chefs in Gaucho. Oh. Who, and then, they, you know, they can go anywhere. And, and that is a growth mindset. It's saying to somebody, you've got to start here. But if you're prepared to work your way up that ladder or, or across those stepping stones, which is an image we use all the time in our, in our courses, if you're prepared to say, you're not going to get over in one leap, but if you're prepared to just do the hard yards in rugby parlance and, yep. just, and just keep your head down and work hard and be helpful and, and go the extra mile and, and be really open to learning and be really open to feedback, then the sky's the limit. Yeah, and, and that is a growth mindset. That, that's different from a, from a fixed mindset, obviously. Massively. And a lot of those, a lot of that stuff you talk about is so steeped in the kind of traditional RFU values as well, which are obviously, you know, a lot of those sort of massively translate into business, don't they? Oh, I mean, there is so much. The danger is it always becomes a bit cheesy, like saying, you know, um, life is like a game of rugby. You get knocked down, you've got to get up again. And, and yes, we do sometimes slip into that kind of language. Uh, but, but there's a lot of truth in it. And the problem is it just sounds so cheesy. Sometimes you don't use it because it just sounds so ridiculous. But actually, there is, there's truth in that. And especially at the moment, Richard, in, in these crazy times that we live in, unprecedented times, I know it's a, it's a phrase we're hearing a lot of, but it, it really is, isn't it? Who totally, us, completely, yeah. Who of us, you know, we're, we're, we're toasting in the new year back on, on the last day of 2019, could have imagined that, that this world could have been like this. And now, what, no Six Nations? Yeah, no I know it's crazy, isn't it? And now more than ever, we um, we you know we just need um, people who are losing their jobs sadly during the pandemic to, to to really harness kind of growth mindset. And we do this with yeah. schools as well. By the way, we're working with 750 children every week, uh, wow. for half a day a week, who are disengaged from from um, mainstream education, just on the tipping edge, really. And we're bringing in behavioural coaches and, and, and rugby coaches who work together to help mm-hmm. get into that growth mindset, into that head, better headspace. And it's it's really great for their mental health because obviously, um, adverse mental health is it, a real worry at the moment. I'm seeing it all the time on, on friends' posts, mm. social media, just in the, in the papers. You don't have to look far to realise that there's a lot of you don't at all anxiety about out there, yeah. and. And so we're not just in the business of trying to get people to stay at school and, and to and to get a job. Um, we may have been a little bit binary like that right at the beginning, but we quick, quickly realised that this whole thing is is much more holistic than that. It's, it really genuinely is about helping people to go f- go from a mindset of, of being insecure and having cripplingly low self esteem to a place where they are fully accepted and encouraged to to realize their potential and, and so the mental health bit is, is huge for us what geographies does your scheme cover um so we're in uh, london and hearts um we're in cardiff and parts of the valleys near pontypridd newbridge that kind of way and right. in scotland as well so we're in uh, edinburgh fife and glasgow okay and yeah. is that kind of like an equal distribution or is it have you got bigger bigger sort of cohorts in different places we are english schools work is is the largest followed by um 
Cardiff, and then the most recent addition is a few a couple of years old now is, is Scotland. Right. Um, and but you know we're steadily growing. Um, I said to you earlier that when we first started, it was just working with young men. Now we we're fifty fifty in all of our adult participants of men and women. We now have girls at school playing rugby. Uh, when you know a couple of years ago they're saying I will never play rugby. Don't want to get muddy. Really not up for <laughs> it at all. And you should see them. They're just brilliant. We employ quite a few um, international female. Uh, internationals um, who are coaching with us and right. the role models that they present us to the boys. I mean, they coach the boys as well, but um, obviously they're inc- incredibly powerful role models to the girls oh. we work with. And I'm already seeing one or two um, who who definitely have futures as international rugby players if, if they stick with it, without a doubt. Wow, what a good legacy for the scheme, though, to, to yeah. be able to create that. It is a good legacy. It's It's not our main objective i mean that's the objective of um the unions the scottish rugby union the welsh rugby union the rugby football union they want to grow the game and promote mm-hmm. it uh, uh, and promote the values of the game which we share obviously yep. um but it's not our it, for us it's it's an amazing it's an, it's like the cherry on the cake but we're not looking for to make internationals we're looking to make better mm. people yeah no, i get that it's just almost almost like a byproduct isn't it great byproduct yeah i mean there are one or two um who some of my colleagues are saying if, if they if they stick with it they've just got like massive potential which is great great to see you can see because your whole body language has just changed which is what i love about zoom your whole body language changed your face lit up when you started talking about these people you're you've got quite a happy expressive face anyway but your whole face just lit up and it illuminated it's great i think Richard, um, it's interesting this, this morning, it's so nice to actually speak to somebody because I just spent the whole morning looking at, so far I'm up to 50 job applications. Uh, we, we've just advertised for one, it, it's a sad state of affairs really, one administration role and, and we've got over 100 applications from, wow. from such an amazing bunch of people. Um, you know, which is sad because there are people who who lost their jobs during the pandemic and obviously love to employ them all, but that's just not possible. But I think one thing for us is we we have to really love people and deeply have a really deeply rooted belief in in human potential. If somebody doesn't have that, then they don't belong in school of hard knocks on the staff. So so it's not just me, we we all have that. Whether you're working in the back office, or on the front line, there is a definite shared belief in, in, in the value of people wherever they're at, whether they're in the grip of addiction or they've made some massive cock-ups in their lives or they're just disengaged from school um, because usually there's a lot of trauma going on in the background. You know, you know, these people are worth fighting for, you know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's like I mean, people say about our business values and they're kind of, because it's my company and we've sort of grown it a little bit, our business values sort of stem from my personal values. Mm. So in some ways it's easier, but that's the one thing that we always sit down and talk to people when we're trying to sort of get a gauge for someone, we will look at people's like social media and say, well, what, what this person's putting out, does that sit with what their values are? Are they living their values and how do they fit with ours? Because you can teach someone anything, but if their values aren't right, it's never going to work, is it? So I totally get why you'd want to be looking for, someone whose values sort of totally sort of buy into the human potential of the people you work with. 
Definitely. We've had a big discussion though recently about the word values. Um, and at the beginning, we had a remote staff conference a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I put up these, I put up our values. And then I put up values of, of another company. And I said, what, what do you see? And they're all saying, you know, real similarity. It, it, it could practically just be the same organization. And I said, that is terrifying because those are the values of Enron who were, I, I do remember... <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, like what, 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 like ten years ago now. 12, I don't know. Yeah. Time by, doesn't it? But um, one of the biggest sort of scandals of financial mm. corruption the world's ever seen, and and ruined thousands of lives and people who've lost their pensions. So, just saying the words excellence and yeah. integrity, it's nothing. You know, if, if they're not backed up by actual behaviours, mm. we any rugby coach will say before a game well you know if they see the players saying oh we're going to do this the opposition today they're not going to come to our backyard mm. do this. we're going to do this we're going to do that you just say look guys you know talk is cheap yeah it's no exactly. deliver it you, you got to get out there and do it don't, mm. don't just tell me what what you what you're going to do mm. let's 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 um back that up so um it is interesting the whole values thing if it's, if it's not lived out and if it's not explained mm. by um actual you know, what that means is we will behave like this. I think you've got to be quite specific. I think, I mean, in business, certainly we're doing that. But I think in rugby as well, I mean, Charlie is 14 now. He's, he's just stopped playing because they went from having too many, too many kids for two teams to not enough for two and too many for one. Yeah. So he's, he's sort of having a year out. But the one thing that I always, always loved about Amptil, where we played, was yeah. the amount of time that they put into not just talking about, but actually delivering the values. And there were a couple of examples where there were some pretty horrible things said to some kids. Um, and they, they just immediately, they were all over it like a rash. And it wasn't just left to the safeguarding leads and the, the yeah. year safeguarding manager. It was every single person. It was every coach, whether that was a backs coach or a forwards coach. And it, you could just tell that they lived and breathed it. And that, for me, is the real sort of the demonstration that they are beyond just a document that's, that might be on a hard drive or is, or is on the wall. It doesn't yeah. really matter. It's about actually how you actually live those values. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a huge thing. And, of course, the challenge is for me as, as, as a leader, and no doubt for you as a leader of your business, is, is to personally live those out as well. Yep. And uh, again, it, always easier said than done. You know, I, I constantly be thinking, am I, you know, how can I have these expectations of, of my colleagues if, if I'm not um, doing it properly myself? So that's a daily motivation. Yeah. <laughs> that's why, I mean, ours are on the wall in the office. And that, and that for me is the reason. It's not for anyone else. It's for me. So that it's subconscious. Every decision I'm thinking, right, does that fit with that? Does that fit with that? And sometimes I have to give myself a bit of a kick in and go, you knob. That doesn't fit with that. And I, and I might even have to go back and unpack a decision and go, do you know what, actually, that was wrong. And I've, I've done it twice this year with, with a couple of people and, and actually reversed something that I thought was the right thing to do at the right time when I thought about it. And, but by doing it honestly and explaining why I did it, actually, people were like, do you know what, it's just human. So out of a mistake, some positive yeah. came out of it. It's huge. And for you to be able to model... Um... Sorry, we're going right off your questions here, aren't we? We're just... Sorry. <laughs> I'm sure you've got questions to ask me. But um, for you as a leader to be able to model the ability to say, oh, I might have got that wrong there, it is brilliant, isn't it? I mean, that just, that's just... Yeah, it's not always easy, but it's, 
it is what it is. So, so to come back to my questions then, because we we have kind of meandered off a little bit. So, so where do you see School of Hard Knocks in five years' time? Oh, that's a really good question. Do you know, um, I think in a year ago, uh, six months ago, yesterday was six months since lockdown began. Yes, I, it was. That's I, right. I, I, that's I, a weird I, anniversary, isn't it? Yeah, 182 days. I, I only wrote it because I was writing out a newsletter and I thought, how long ago is it? And it was bizarrely six months. Six months ago, I'd have said something like, we'd like to be have a presence in every major region in the UK. Uh, we want to see our work growing. I think at the moment, there's so much uncertainty. Um, I'm not sure with how wise it would be to come up with these really sort of... Um, oh you know, huge ideas, although I do think we need to be visionary. I think um, I would like to have our work really well established in the three areas we're in. I think there's a, there's a government report that comes out every five years called the Indices of Social Deprivation. And, and uh, repeatedly, the, the most difficult area in, um, in the UK is where I'm from, which is uh, mm. Liverpool and, and that kind of area, the Northwest. I would love to see it there. I'd love to see it set up there. I would think in five years' time, if we are firmly established in Glasgow, Liverpool, Midlands, and where we are now, I, I, I'd, I'd be happy with that. Um, it, it's funny how we, it's through pandemic. We, I would not have dreamt that my finance manager, for instance, would have said, my husband's just got a job in Washington. Is it possible to, to work from there? Like six months ago, I'd have had a massive fit and said no. <laughs> I can imagine. But now, now I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course you can. That's not. I can't see why that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And um, so, in in some ways, the pandemic is completely open to my w- mind to what's possible. It's also unlocked in our team real creativity. So we have um, come up with an online course, which is the first truly scalable thing that we've produced. Normally, we can only deliver courses in areas where we have our staff working. Mm-hmm. We, we, we've created an online course now for people who've lost their jobs during the pandemic. And, you know, somebody could join that from Newcastle, from Hull, from Liverpool, from Bournemouth, from Exeter, and they could all be on the wow. same course. Yep. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really interested to see how in five years' time, the technology aspect of, of what we do will, will have well, well uh, technology will have enhanced what we're oh. doing and open our minds to what's possible. I think also I, I want us to become the best researched um, sports charity in the, in the UK, if not the world, which sounds really outrageous, but we, we already, we, we employ uh, on a part-time basis and, and one or two on a full-time basis, um, PhD students who are doing their PhDs in psychology and various disciplines of psychology. And we've got some great partnerships with universities and I, I think that strategically, yes, we can grow School of Hard Knocks, but if we could really come up with a, a world-class body of evidence that this type of initiative works and we can share that with the wider sort of sporting world, then I, I think that that could have, have a greater effect strategically. Wow, that's massive, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it is massive, but we, I think we've got some really good things in place. We've got some very, very strong partnerships with a few universities um, and we're looking at putting together a multidisciplinary team of academics from different universities working with us to work out what is happening in teenage brains mm. when, when a 14 year old just suddenly kicks off what, and what is going on there. 
and there's some really exciting thing plans afoot to to to, um, to to really understand that better. So I'd like us to be really even if we don't grow our footprint massively, I, I think we the research arm of what we do I think would be could be really exciting in the next five years. Well, and I mean if you if you the way that technology is changing, I think you might not necessarily grow your, your physical footprint, but actually by leveraging some of the, the offerings that you're already quite clearly well advanced at developing, it's almost really easy to actually roll that out, isn't it? Because you've got, you can then have people all over the place that are getting value from it. You don't, you're, you aren't necessarily so reliant on having that physical footprint. Yeah, that definitely. And obviously I'd love to see the actual school of hard knocks. I want every school in South Wales, for instance, to be running a school of hard knocks program. I, of course, I'd love that. Um, but strategically, would it be better if, at a societal level if we came up with a body of evidence which helps every sports governing body, every sports club, and every sports-based charitable initiative in the UK and abroad? I mean, surely that's that's a That's a far bigger and better outcome, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, I must admit, I read a book last year called Raising Boys, and the difference between boys and I was just, I was like, it was, it was like someone switched a light on, light on, it really was, it was fascinating and that sort of stuff does fascinate me and the way that some of the kids that we talked to at Youth Build sort of when they sort of sit down on the first day and they're totally disengaged with society, they've got no interest in anything, they don't even, they don't even want to be anywhere. Yeah. They don't um, know where they want to be but they don't want to be anywhere and when they leave and so I guess it's kind of the same with you guys when you get to that eight weeks and you have that rugby match and you see that all of the incremental steps that those people have sort of gone along that pathway that is a really rewarding piece of work but almost at that higher societal level the research that's where the real real power is isn't it because that's about driving societal change it, it, it really is and and interestingly on understanding how teenagers develop and their needs it, um, drives how we work differently with them and with adults. So our adult courses mm. are short, they're just eight weeks long. Our schools courses, we work with children every year, the school year for up to three years. So we work with these children for three years because mm. um, the human brain is still developing, would you believe, till you're 23 years old. Yeah, is, I've read that. Yeah, it's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? Um, it is fascinating. So when you see children who are traumatized at home for whatever reasons, um, or the stuff going on in their lives and they're just angry and they're going through puberty and, and, and I'm just caught up in this maelstrom of adolescence and hormones kicking off everywhere and then you throw in you know a teacher who's had a bad day and a parent yep. who's been horrible to them no wonder the volcano just starts to bubble mm. and we all know as adults when that volcano starts to go it starts you know you've got to be stopping it. yeah you need to get out of the way so you can just mm. let go Kids yeah. don't have the wherewithal to do that and the discipline, the wisdom to say, I'm going to count to 10 while I walk out the room. They'll just go. And, and so for us to do sessions like teenage minds, teenage bodies, just to help them get to understand what is the connection between their brain and their bodies and what's happening inside, which makes them feel so angry, oh. so emotional, so up and down and saying that's completely normal and it's okay. That's important message for children to hear. And, that's and then, huge. Yeah, and, and then we give them strategies to, obviously we give them practical strategies to manage the fear or the anxiety or the anger. Uh, but that takes, you, you can't just deliver that in a lecture, which is why our, our mentors and behavioral coaches and, and rugby coaches are with them every week of the year for up to three years. 
And that, by the way, is why it's been an absolute disaster for us since since March, because we mm. haven't, until the last few weeks, not been able to be with them physically, which has mm. been a nightmare. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine. I mean, the other thing that you didn't sort of touch on, which I don't know whether is valid or not, but I'm going to ask, is the one thing that we see quite a lot in the people that we work with is a lack of continuity because of like the, the average length of people's parents' relationships these days. So if you've got a relationship with somebody at that age for three years, that can be really life-changing because yeah. it, the continuity is huge, isn't it? It is absolutely huge. There's a thing that's getting big now in sort of behavioural psychology and educational psychology called ACEs, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences. So helping mm -hmm. people understand that we've all had them. If I broke my leg as a kid, that was an adverse childhood experience. We all have that. But if children are being abused or there are repeated traumas and they never get the chance to recover, it, it, it stops their brains from developing fully. It, it, it wow it dramatically reduces their uh, life expectancy. It dramatically reduces their health in later life. It dramatically reduces their uh, likelihood of um, attaining their uh, educational potential, massively increases their chances of getting involved in criminal activity. It's, and and this, is, this is not um, fictional out there, you know, thinking. This is just... Yeah. This is just well-established fact now. And so, but here's the really exciting bit. And it's really exciting for any coach or any mentor who's working with somebody as an apprentice or any teacher or any youth club worker, that if that, that, that damage can be reversed or checked at least, if that person, that young person has in their lives an emotionally available adult, trusted adult, who will just be with them throughout that difficult period. So even if our behavioral coaches weren't specialists, and even if our rugby coaches were just terrible at rugby coaching, they're not, by the way, they're, they're all- I'm good. sure. Um, but even if that was the case, just a trusted, well thought through safe adult in their lives consistently for, for, those, for the duration of those few years, drastically changes their whole life chances. It's just, it's hard to measure the impact of that, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure you could. And I would imagine that it's probably actually about, a th it's probably at least a third of that is actually having that key person almost as an anchor, isn't it? To yeah. be able to go to and to know that that person's going to be there. Yeah. It's funny, well, our, our staff just went back and and they're thinking, oh, will, will, it, will the kids be wanting to talk to us? Is it going back to, they said they just couldn't shut up. They just like yapping, following them around the school because they're so desperate for them to be kind of back in their I life. I can imagine. Yeah, I bet they are. I just yeah. think they've probably missed them tremendously. Yeah, so it, which is simultaneously gut-wrenching and, you know, mm. really encouraging. Yeah. So how have your coaches found it? Because that actually, if that's what they're doing, that must be quite hard for them to not be able to have that, that relationship. So how have your staff found that? The, the, the period of lockdown? Mm. Uh, it's, it's been really tough. Um, we, we had to furlough um, half of our delivery staff um, because we weren't, the schools closed and because yep. we didn't do our in-person adult course. Um, what we did do though initially um, was, was great. Um, we, we, we've never really done any online resources on, on, on our website. But the first thing we did for the first, I guess, two or three weeks 
was come up with a a load of videos uh, okay. based, based along the theme, and it's quite funny because they're all quite charming in their way because it's basically done on an iPhone and a and a you know it is it is not highly polished um, stuff, mm-hmm. but um, we, we we did that on two pages for adult resources and children's resources. Children's resources was all about you know maintaining your mental health, doing some little physical fun challenges each day, doing some hard physical challenges each day. Uh, how to manage anxiety for the adults it's some key life skills managing a budget if you've lost your job how to do your cv also some physical challenges so that was the first thing we our staff got really busy creating these this huge array of of uh, online resources and then um we spent a long time uh we've developed an, an online course for people who've lost their job during the pandemic right. uh, called back in the game and that's um just five mornings um and in line with with the phases of our courses we we, each morning is body mind future all of our courses along those lines so the first first one is body we do 30 minutes of fizz uh we've got the mobility coach from cardiff blues and cardiff city uh, okay doing that for us every morning and uh just with one of those little mini bands you know just just yeah yeah all going it's just great exercise get real sweat on and then we do a little bit of mindfulness exercise for five minutes and then we do a session on the mind how to deal with anxiety how to get a growth mindset how to sleep better all these things which are being disrupted hugely important yeah yeah and then the future is the first the final hour before lunch which is um you know how to write a cv how to do a, a, an interview online or all that kind mm. of stuff and then the afternoons are one-to-one phone calls and helping people. So um, it's been tough for our staff, but we've been really proactive and people have been incredibly creative. I really hate it when people say, oh, I haven't got a creative bone in my body. I just don't believe it. It's, it's just mm. part of that narrative people allow themselves, you know, allow yeah. themselves. It's just not true. Everyone's creative. So, some might be more creative than others, but mm. I've seen some people who've just come up with some brilliant stuff over the last few months when... It's the last thing I expected. I think a lot of people sort of just default into the not, and and I'm I'm one of the world's worst. I mean, someone said to me the other day, "Where do you get all your content for all your posts from?" And I said, "Well, I'm at my I get my most creative ideas when I'm out on site, looking at what the guys are doing, and when I'm on the tools myself sometimes with people, which I try and do like once a month. I get more creative ideas then." They never do. And if someone would have said to me two years ago, "Are you creative?" I'd have been like, "I haven't got a creative hair on my head." Yeah. And yet, if you put yourself in the right environment, you yeah. can be creative. Of course, you can. And, and it, with a little, bit, you know, we we there's a little bit of pressure on us. You know, we we had to. We're funded by a lot of organisations like Comet Relief and you know Big Lottery and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And and they're all brilliant, by the way. They're all every single funder has, has been amazing. Saying, you know, um, what what are your plans for during the pandemic? How are you going to do it? Don't worry about you know, delivery as it normally is. We just want you to thrive and, and come up with ways of helping people in. And and just that spink, thinking space was, was has been really good for us. Although I think for some staff, it, it has been harder than it has for others because, you know, home circumstances as well, mm-hmm. like people living on their own. For those first yep. eight weeks, it was a nightmare. Um, yeah, there's people in different circumstances that have, that have found it hard for different reasons. I mean... I don't do that much work in the social housing environment um, anymore, but I used to do an awful lot. And we used to work with a couple of antisocial behavioural officers um, quite closely. 
Um, and I remember talking to one of those, I think it was probably like three, four weeks into lockdown. Yeah. Um, and she raised this really valid point that actually this is the worst thing that could happen to somebody in that environment where actually they're being abused at home because work was their safe place. That's where they went. And all of a sudden they've got no escape. So I think yeah. it means lockdown meant different things for different people. And, and a lot of that was based on what was their familial or their sort of home-based situation. And, it, and it's different for everyone. If you're in like a nice house in the countryside and you've got a garden, then lockdown's not as bad as if you've got three kids and you've got screaming neighbours and you're in a flat on the 14th floor of a tower block in Stepney or, or Merseyside. It's, yeah, yeah. it's different for everyone, isn't it? It is. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been lucky. I, I, I'm lucky now. I just look up and I just see, you know, fields. And that's, I'm, I'm just lucky in that respect. And, you know, I've got good people around me and great friendships and great family and so on. Mm. But for some of our colleagues, it's been pretty tough. And actually, for most of our children, it's been really hard that we work with. Because um, it, for those who, who are from chaotic home backgrounds, the very last place they need to be in it is home for yeah. six months which is a nightmare for mm. them so, uh, mm. so we, do you think you're gonna have a bigger caseload when you when you get back to kind of situation normal do you think or yes and that, i mean we, we just don't know yet but interestingly what one of our early observations from the staff is that the children from the most chaotic backgrounds seem to have thrived okay because okay. Because the world's become chaotic, but they're used to chaos. So it's, mm-hmm. they're quite resilient, interestingly. That's, uh, yeah. The children who are disengaged from school for various different reasons, but have got a slightly more stable home backgrounds or supportive parents, they're the ones who really struggled. Uh, that might flip their work when school gets back into normal mm-hmm. life. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I think the long-term damage as a nation psychologically is going to be huge uh, because there's going to be a lot of increased poverty, a lot of people who all their security was located in, in their jobs, that's gone. Yep. And um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of long-term pain beyond the financial one. Yeah, I mean, ever since Margaret Thatcher sort of pushed everybody to become self-employed, so many people, and I did, I mean, it cost me my first marriage. I put my whole life, my identity was my work. That's yeah. where my success story was. And, and it's taken me a long time to realise and actually to try and get, and you know, hell, I'm not perfect. I'm still pretty crap at it, but I'm trying. Um, but so many people's personal, personal psychological success is attached to their job. And when yeah. you take that away from them, all of a sudden it's like a deck of cards, isn't it? Yeah. Now it's, it's, it's a really, I think it's an important one for everyone to consider really, you know, what, where, where is your security located? And if, if it's in one thing or one person or one job, which, which is vulnerable, then, then you're in danger, aren't you? Um, Vulnerability is definitely taken on a whole new world <laughs> since the advent of COVID for sure. It really has. I mean, we've spoken for a long time amongst the leadership team that we, we have to model vulnerability, which means that we, I can't expect somebody who's just been on staff with us for a year to say, to come up to me and say, Oh, Ken, I'm, I'm really struggling with mental health. And because people fear that I might be thinking, judging that. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not prepared to model vulnerability and I will, I, the I write, then, you know, I can't expect anyone else to be vulnerable and, and ask for help. 
So I, I write a, a weekly roundup to staff and trustees every week, every Friday, just a little summary of the week. Mm. And, um, and I have to, you know, every so often I will, if I'm feeling like I've had a personally a crap week, I'll say so. Um, and, and, and not be af- afraid of that because I just think that's important in leadership. But yeah, vulnerability, it's a multi-level layered term now, isn't it? Because a massive, it means vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, it means so many different things. And there's a there's a, a lady who did a TED talk in America. You probably heard of her called Brene Brown, um, and she gets asked quite a lot to go into companies and talk about um, like talk about shame and vulnerability. And they say to her, like, but the one thing we don't want you to talk about is being vulnerable. And actually, she makes a really valid point that if people can't feel safe and secure to be vulnerable, how can you ever expect anybody to come up with anything creative? Exactly. You exactly. can't. Yeah. And, and actually, for employers, I just think it's, it's a no-brainer, really, because the, the more um, safe people feel, then you, know, they, they, you get more productivity out of them. You, you, if, they, if they feel able to say, I can't come in with work today because I'm just feeling absolutely having a nightmare and you're not going to be breathing right down the neck, then the, the sense of, of commitment to the, to the team is, is much higher. I mean, mental health in the workplace. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on that. Couldn't we? Oh, cool. Yeah, at least. Sure you so, millions of time. Need, yeah, we're running out of time and you're an extremely busy man. So personal goals, what do you want to achieve in the next couple of years? School of Hard Knocks is obviously a massive part of your life. Yeah. But what, what, other, stuff, what other stuff are you looking to want to try and achieve? That is such a good question. And um, it's a bit of a curveball because um, I'm already thinking, wow, my own whole life is so wrapped up in, in School of Hard Knocks as the founder of it, that it's actually, you asking the question, it's hard for me to come up with an answer which is outside of School of Hard Knocks. Shame on me. So I need to think about them. Say <laughs> so we're only a little podcast, but we do ask some good questions. Yeah, you do ask some good questions. Um, I had a massive—I mean, a, a, a little one. It, 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 it's, it's not like—I suppose it's relevant to me. But I had a massively horrendous knee injury last year. Had two ops, four stays in hospital. It was life-changing in some wow. way. Um, and I, yeah, I, I need I need to rehab my knee better. I'd love to be able to jog again. It's taken a year so far. Not quite there yet. Um, and lose some weight along the, along the way. Just get some more discipline into my life, I think. We could all do with losing a bit of weight. Brilliant. I've loved every minute of talking to you. I'd like to get more involved in School of Hard Knocks when you relaunch your mentoring programme. I've spoken to Nathan about it, so hopefully yeah. when that sort of comes back on stream, we can do something. But I wish you every success. It sounds like a fantastic journey that you were involved in and yeah. doing some really, really positive good. And perhaps one day we'll get to meet up somewhere. Wouldn't that be great? Over a beer or something, Richard? That'd yeah, be definitely. Yeah. Beer and a game of rugby would be lovely. Yeah. Perfect. Lovely to chat to you, mate. Thanks. I'll, I'll drop your um, LinkedIn profile and School of Hard Knocks in the show notes for the podcast. And um, I'll drop you a message when it's going to go out live. Awesome, mate. Thanks very Thanks much. Thanks ever so much for your time. Have a great okay, day. Buddy. Bye. Take care, Bye bye. Thanks for listening the On The Block podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. To find out more about the work that Richard does, please visit his website, www.stonecontracts.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, 
then please leave a rating and review on the platform you use to enjoy his show. Thanks for listening and see you soon on the blog.